How many of you this morning want Jesus to fill your cup? If you want to, let me say amen. Amen? This morning, I invite you to turn me to our opening text in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 in your Bibles as we go through our study. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. The sermon entitled this morning is Not What's Listed in Your Bulletin. As I was praying this morning out in nature, I like to go in the mornings. And as I was out there, I just didn't feel like the sermon was the sermon that God wanted me to preach. And so I was wrestling, and then I said, I, I can't preach this sermon. It just doesn't grip, it doesn't grip me. It doesn't give me the burden. So I said to God, so well, what sermon do you want me to preach then? If you don't want me to preach this sermon. And he said to me, preach what's on your heart. I said, I don't know anything what's on my heart. Then I thought, then he said, preach what's on your heart. And I thought to myself, there is something on my heart. There's something that's burning in my heart, that's firing my bones for a while that I need to share with God's people. And therefore, the new sermon entitled this morning is called The Falling Out of Love. The Falling Out out of love. And I need to warn you, it's going to be a shocking sermon to probably 99% of you, so you have to be prepared, spiritually, because Satan has been very deceptive in deceiving us and how, and help us to fall out of love in God's remnant church. So be looking from the Word of God, from history also, of where we're at as a church in these last days. And that we may learn how we fell out of love and how we need to get back to fall in love with Jesus once again. Amen? With that, may God help us to see from his word how to fall in love with him. Let us pray. Father, we know without you we can do nothing. Lord, take these words and may become fire in the bones of your people here this morning. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To find out about to fall in love, we need to go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And again, don't believe what I say, but believe what the Word has to say as we go through text by text. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to look at the first church of the seven churches in Revelation. And it's the church of Ephesus. So when we look at the church of Ephesus, we're going to look at how the Ephesus church was, and then we're going to look at what happened to the church. So look at verse 1. It says here, the Bible says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things said he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, amongst the churches, Jesus is walking among the churches. He says, I know your works and your labor. I know that you're very involved. You're very active. Ephesus was a very active church. And how you can bear them that which are evil. And thou hast tried them with say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. In other words, they, have, they were faithful to the truth. They were loyal. This was a loyal church, faithful to the truth. They were actively involved. They were from the heart, on the inside. They loved to serve God because they wanted to serve God. 
they were on fire because the, the gospel had gripped their hearts. And in verse 3, the Bible says, And has borne, you have worked and has patience. And for my name's sake have labored, you have worked, you have done evangelistic meetings, you have brought many souls to the truth and has not fainted. In other words, the Ephesus church, did you know about the Ephesus church? They were a very active church. There was a church that was on fire. There was a church that was zealous for the truth. They were faithful to the word. God really blessed that church. In fact, we're going to go to the Bible and see how this church was. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 18, let's turn to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 26. And what the Bible says, this is how the Ephesus church was. And there's a reason why, and we're going to learn later. The Bible says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, knows what, what kind of person he was. Number one, the Bible says that he was an what? Eloquent man, number one. He was mighty in the what? Scriptures, number two. Came to Ephesus. Now notice what happened. This man was instructed in what? The way of the Lord, three. And also he was being what? What does the Bible say? Fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, right? Things of God, knowing only the baptism of John, though. And he began to speak how? Boldly in the what? Church. Who when, notice what happens. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, and notice what they did. And expounded more unto him the way of God more, what? Perfectly, accurately. So in other words, he was a mighty evangelist, a mighty teacher, a mighty pastor, a mighty worker for God. He came and he's preaching, he's bold, preaching boldly, powerful, fervent in the spirit. There's all these different things. And he's preaching a powerful sermon. But the, 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 the members of the church were so much students of the word and so filled with the Holy Ghost that they thought, they knew that hey, something missing here. So they actually went back and they actually taught him the church members taught the speaker more perfectly the word of God. Amen? In other words, the church of Ephesus knew something. There was no division between the clergy and the laity. Are you following me? They believed in the priesthood of all believers. And because of that, they knew the word of God. And felt confident. And not this saying stuff to the speaker just to say something, but they actually knew the word of God. That the speaker said, yeah, you're right. That was the power of Ephesus. Ephesus was a powerful church. These members was powerful. They individually knew the word of God as much as even the evangelists out there. That was the power of the church. That's why God blessed that church. You're faithful, you're truthful, you're honest, you're a working church, you're on fire, you're doing evangelism. God has blessed you. And the laity was powerful. And that's why the church was powerful because the people among the church members realize that they are now the new priests since the old covenant was done away with. And they're all priests of God, not just as the organized priesthood, the Levitical priesthood anymore. The Levitical priesthood was done away at the cross, and now every single one realized that each and every one of them was a priest of God, beloved. Amen? They realized, not only, and not only that we should, like this morning in Sabbath school, but they believed it this morning, beloved. Amen? They believed it. Really believed it. And they lived it. 
not just talked it, but they lived it. It was powerful. And God blessed the church. And that's why Ephesus was on fire and God really blessed. What else about Ephesus? Look at Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 18 and 20. What happened because of what the church was doing? Look at verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed, showing their deeds. The revival in the church at Ephesus was so powerful that the church shook the community, beloved. And many of them also with used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, which is half a million dollars. It's a lot of money. They burned their books, their CDs, their DVDs of wickedness. They brought them on a big pile in the midst of Ephesus and they burned half a million dollars. Can you imagine the Honokah church? Can you imagine the Honokah community so rocks this community because everyone believes that priests of God being used by God and this shakes this community that the school comes out and they bring all the young kids, bring out the CDs and DVDs of, of, of evil and they burn it in a big bonfire. Can you imagine what would happen to this community if this church was on fire? It happened before, didn't it? Could it not happen again? Then why is it not happening? Powerful things happen. What else happened? Verse 24 and 28, look what the Bible says. So now, think about this. People are turning away from idol worship. You know, Ephesus was a place where Diana was worshipped. And so, Ephesus was a, a place of, was a center for paganism. And notice what happens here in verse 28. The Bible says, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, was made silver shrines for Diana. So he made no small gain under the craftsmanship. So, in other words, he made his money by building nice statues of Diana and selling them. Now, this church of Ephesus is so changing the community of Ephesus that there's a big revival, so they stop worshiping Diana. What do you think it does to those who sell statues of Diana? They start losing money. So they're losing money here in Ephesus. So what he did was he called together in verse 25 with the workmen of like occupation, all those people who does this build statues of Diana, and said, Sirs, we know that by this craft we have our wealth. By what we do, we make a lot of money. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, the people now, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So not only this, our craft is in danger to be said or not, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and the magnificence should be destroyed, who all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of anger and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So much so that Ephesus moved that community that the people were making money off evil things we're losing money. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the community of Honokah so moved by the Holy Ghost among God's people in the Honokah church, so much so, and God using anyone individually, that the community is moved so much that they're willing to give up their idol worship, the evil things that are done, the evil things that are seen, just because the people realize that God can use them too. Can you imagine that, beloved? Can you imagine the power that would happen? That would happen.
What else happened? Look at verse 29, chapter 19 about Ephesus. Because of this church, this one church, and the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius, Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So they grabbed Paul's companions and they went into this great big theater. Look at verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another. For the assembly was what? Confused. And the more part knew not whether they would come together. In other words, they were so confused. They grabbed these people, but they was, grabbed the whole town together, but they were so confused, they didn't know what was going on. But they still called them together. In verse 34, notice what they did. They're in such rage over this one church. Verse 34, when they, and when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that? For two hours, they're chanting, Great is a God of the Ephesians. Two hours straight. This repetitive chanting, Great is a God of the Ephesians. Great is a God of the Ephesians. For two whole straight hours, just because they're almost driven to an insanity just because of the movement of this one church of Ephesus. Can you imagine moving the whole city because of one church? Almost driving them to insanity because God moved upon his church in such a powerful and a mighty way. Can you imagine? This, according to the Bible definitions, and the Bible's own definition encyclopedia, we're describing from the word of God what is actually the spiritual condition of the church of Ephesus. It was a mighty movement of God. Why? Because in their hearts, every single one of them loved God and wanted to serve him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And how about you this morning? Do you want to serve God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? If you do, let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. God wants us to obey and to follow and to serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let's go back to Ephesus. So... We know that the church of Ephesus was on fire. They were faithful to the truth, the word. They were serving God with all their heart. And they were doing evangelism in the church. The church was, was moving. The Holy Spirit was being poured out. God was blessing. Why? Because they truly, they loved God with all of their heart. But what happened? Look at verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your what? First love. In other words, the church of Ephesus was on fire. God was moving. They had a big bonfire and they're burning all the wicked CDs and DVDs. Everything was going good. The church was doing evangelism. Many souls were coming to the truth. People were coming and the members were students of the word. They knew their Bibles. They knew their word. And they were loving God and serving him from a heart full of service and obedience. What a church we love. Amen? And so they're serving God. And then the Bible says, but... You, what happened was you loved God once, but then what happened was you lost your first love. You lost your first love. And could it be that many churches today have lost their first love? 
Could it be also that many church members today and ministers, we have lost our first love? Could it be possible? Could it be that if we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? Could it be that we're not obeying him and serving him fully, 100%? There's no revivals and reformation. There's no latter rain. Could it be possible in our church that as Laodicea, we have, we, as our actions are showing, we have lost our first love? Could that be possible, beloved? If it's possible, let me say amen. Amen? It is possible. And I believe it is very possible that we have lost and we have and. In our churches, in our conferences, and everywhere, we have lost this first love that God has, has called us to do and to serve Him with all of our hearts. We have lost this first love. And the next question is then, how do we gain this first love? And how do we lose this first love? Because the church is made of individuals, you and me. How do we lose this first love? And there's many answers. But I believe the Bible is very clear and specific on how the church and the churches have lost this first love. It's found in verse 5. The Bible says, You have lost your first love, therefore remember therefore for whence thou art what? Fallen. Remember that word. Fallen. And repent and do the first works. What you did before you fell. Or also come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place, except thou what? Repent. See, I want to know what is it that has made the churches fall out of love with God? Don't you this morning, beloved? Amen? Because if I can figure out what it is that made a church fall to love, then I can fall back in love with Jesus. Amen? Now, he's addressing the whole church, not individually, but the church. And if I can find out how I've lost my first love, I can love Jesus again, then I can lovingly from the heart, the law within my heart, obey and serve him and keep all of his commandments and be obedient to everything that God has asked me to do within his word. Right? Amen? That's what God wants, obedience. So what I need to do is I need to find where is it that we have fallen? Where is this fallen? Where did, where did the church fall away? Where is this falling away that the Bible is talking about? How has the church fallen away? Right? That's the question. Where is this falling away that the Bible talks about that we need to go to to understand how the church has lost their first love? Because the church lost its first love by the falling away. Right? Beloved, Amen. I think some of you is clicking already where I'm going. The church as the organizational structure and church structure and organization and system fell away and lost its first love because of the falling away this morning, beloved. That's how the church lost its first love. Not that we lose the first love by the falling away. Let's, where do we fall away? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Notice the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. 3 to 5. Where was this falling away? Notice the Bible says. Let no man deceive you. 
by any means. Don't be deceived as a church. For that day, the second coming, shall not come, is not going to come first, except in the church there come a what? Falling away. Are you following me? First, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That man of sin of, or the man of perdition, which is the system of the papacy. This is what's talking about, the, the pope and the papacy, that system of that falling away first. In other words, John was referring to the falling away, a falling away, pointing to the falling away of a system, the structure, the organization of the church. And when the structure and organization was falling away, it compelled people to lose their first love for Jesus Christ. Are you following me, beloved? Amen? What about this system? Look at verse 4. What about this system? Who oppose it and exalted himself above all that is called God. So what it does is it exalts man in the place of God, right? Is that true? You see that? Or that is worship. So that he, as a pope, or the system of the bishop, or the priest, or the deacon, sit it in the temple of God, showing himself that he is what? God. Are you following me? In other words, the falling away is when you put man in the place of God. That's clear. Let me say amen. Amen? That's the falling away. What is going on? Verse 5. Remember you not that I told I was not yet with you. I told you these things. Verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And verse 8. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. It's talking about the mission of sin, the man of sin, which is the papacy. So in other words, when man is put in the place of God, there is a falling away of the church, the membership, away from God. Do you see that, beloved? In other words, when you put man in the place of God, who you confess your sins to, right? That means that you're not going to be confessing your sins to God, which means that you're spending less time with God and more time with man, which means if you spend less time with God, then your love for God lessens. Are you following me? Amen? If you need a question about something and you turn to the priest, rather than to God, you're spending less time because relationship is based upon time, right? And therefore you're turning to a man rather than to God who answers your questions, then what happens to your relationship with God? It dies. What happens to your love for God? It dies. So whenever you have a question about what the word, you go to the priest and he said, explain this scripture to me, and then the priest will explain to you, rather than going to God, who, going to God who can send the spirit of truth, who can lead you into what? All truth. You have a problem, you go to the, the priest. You ask him for the answers. In the secular world, they have their own priests, psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors who can solve all your anxiety with just a pill, right? So this system of organization 
of the papacy was the very means of the falling away, of a falling away from God. When we turn to man rather than God, our trust for God disappears and we fall out of love with Jesus. You see, it is a false structure and organization of the papacy, of the church, that sets you up to fall out of love with Jesus Christ. That's what kills the love within the church. And that is why. You see, many Christians who were once on fire for God who came into a very structured, traditional church organization, and that falling away false system of structure and organization killed the love of Jesus in the heart below. Amen? Amen. You baptize people, they come into church, they're on fire. You know, it's funny, they go to church, and I hear this a lot. When they first come to church, they're like, I'm such a sinner, I just... I'm so unworthy. The saints in the church, I can't even walk in the church with all the saints there. You know, that's their feeling, right? But it's so funny. Six months later, they're like, I thought these were the saints of God. And (laughs) they're they're not living up to the light they know and they're not being faithful to the truth. And uh, what's going on? A totally complete change. And what happens, the system, sooner or later, it changes them. The structure change them, and sooner or later, they either become discouraged and leave the church, or they become like everyone else. They lose their first love. Very rarely you find people who are faithful and still have that love of God. The system makes them fall out of love with Jesus. Now, I want you to turn to me to um, another text here. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 17 first. So now we saw this falling away which was the church structure and organization, putting man in the place of God. Acts chapter 20. You know what the Bible says? Acts chapter 20, verse 17. This is Paul before he leaves, and he calls, knows what he does in verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the what? Elders of the church. So he calls the elders of the church to himself. So Paul's with the elders of the church. And in verse 29, he says his counsel to them. He says to the elders, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. So among yourselves, among the leadership of the church, among the elders in the church. I'm sorry. First of all, among the people going to come in and they're going to come into the church and destroy the church. But in verse 30 says, Also of your own selves, among the elders, it says, shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. In other words, Paul is saying to his elders that people are going to come in and lead people away, but also among your own selves, among the leadership of the church, among the elders, men's going to rise, people are going to rise, and elders are going to rise to draw disciples after themselves. Now, why do people want to draw disciples after themselves? What was the reasons why they want to create a following? Because of what? Pride. What else? Money. Power. Right? Position, right? So among the elders in the church, they wanted to, they wanted to have draw people or the church members after themselves to, do, to follow them, to lead them for the power, the pride, start their own whatever movements or whatever they wanted to do. But even within the church, they wanted that power and 
that pride within in that church. And could it be this morning that we too as a church have followed, though we're not Babylon, and anyone who calls the church Babylon is not sent of God, but could it be possible that we have implemented certain principles patterned after the papacy into our churches, the, the modern churches today? Could it be possible, beloved? Could it be that the structure and organization that was once started before with the prophet and with our pioneer is not the same structure that exists today? Could it be possible? Let's define our terms. I'm going to read to you from one of the people who wrote the church is organization, order, and discipline. Of Jane Lothrose, one of the people who start out churches, and he said this, The members being thus enrolled, they are prepared for the election of church officers. The following classes of rulers and officers of the church, Christian church are brought to view in the New Testament. Apostles, evangelists, elders, bishops, pastors, and deacons. These we were divided into two great classes, those who hold their office by virtue of an especial call from God, which was the evangelist, and those selected by the church, the former embracing apostles and evangelists, so they have the workers for the church, the apostles and evangelists, and the latter, or those in the local church, was the elders, the bishops, the pastors, and the deacons, which was all unpaid lay members. The term pastor is from, is, signifies literally a herdsman, a shepherd, especially a pastor, a teacher, a spiritual guide of a particular church. The definition of this term pastor shows that it signifies the same office as elder and bishop, a local office confined to a particular church referring to the lay people. Hmm. See, the word in the Bible, presbyter, Pastor, elder, and bishop is the same word. It's the same office. That's exactly what our people believe in, in our movement, when we were movement. The falling away was a gradual process. And let me tell you what happened. See, the church of the early church of the apostles is the exact same church of the Roman Catholic Church. So if you're looking for the most authentic and the oldest church, you need to join the Roman Catholic Church. Because the same church of the Pope today is the same church that Peter and Paul and John all attended and, and Jesus attended back then. It's the same church. But there was a falling away. And so what happened was, in each of the churches, there were elders and there were bishops. That's the same term, elders and bishops. And there was no head elder, just as there was no head disciple. When the disciples, there was all equal, and the disciples said, I want to be the, the first head and the second head on the right and left of Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, okay, why don't you be head deacon, head, head disciple. Did he say that? There was no head disciple. He rebuked them. And so what happened was, there was the elders in each church, there were the bishops in each church, and what happened, the, the churches that had the elders out of deference and respect, they gave the respect to the most mature and the oldest elder in the church, the bishop in the church. 
and said, because you're the oldest spiritually, we're going to give you deference and respect, which is good. But over time, the, older, the oldest one, they demanded the deference and respect. They required it, and they required a new position called the head elder. You're following me in the church. Head bishop. And so that head bishop in every church was never had before, the falling away, putting man above, above other men. And what they did was the next step it is that they separated with the presbyter and the elders. Elders and presbyter are the same word, but they separated. It was the bishop, the presbyter, and then they started the deacons. And they separated the bishops, the presbyter, and the deacons on one side, called the clergy, professionals, and laity was on the other side. Laity really means today, lay people, it really means ignorant. They really, when you're talking to doctors and you say, well, he's just a lay person. It means they really don't know anything. And the spiritual realm, right, as a physician, you know, right? So in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. The, the, the church members, the laity, they really don't know anything. They can't do anything. And what happens is that people today believe that, and that's why they don't do anything, beloved. Are you following me? Because you believe you cannot preach, you cannot teach, you cannot give Bible study, you can't do call part of work, you can't really do anything, but all you can do is sit down and listen to a good sermon, right? That's all you're really good for. That's the mentality that's promoted today. So they separated the two, and in the church of God, what they did was this. After time, the, head, the bishop, the head bishop in each church decided, hey, we need a supreme head bishop of each church. And since Rome not only was the center of the, the universe, the center of the world at that time, but it's also because not only one apostle, but two apostles actually started a church at Rome. Therefore, the bishop of Rome was head of all the bishops in the whole world. Are you following me? So that's why the bishop of Rome, to this day, the pope holds the title of the bishop of Rome. And then the Roman Catholic Church said, okay, the way we did was we separate the clergy and the laity. We have the bishops, we have the presbyterian and the deacons, and the presbyterian is another word for priest today. We turn into the word priest. So we have the bishops, we have the priests, and we have the deacons, which is the professional clergy. And you cannot interpret the scripture unless you go to the professionals because as a laity, you really don't know anything. And so in the Dark Ages, what they did was they... They suppressed the Bible. What they did in Dark Ages, they took away the Bibles because the people can't really understand them and they can't interpret for themselves, right? That's what they did. In Islam, what they did was they replaced the Bible with the Quran, right? Today, they leave you the Bible, but they tell you that you're just late and you can't interpret it. And the effect is exactly the same, beloved. And the churches fall in love because if you cannot interpret the Bible, you'll never read the Bible, right? And you cannot communicate with God unless you have a meteor like a priest who can confess your sins with. Then I can't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a little superficial and small relationship, but I can't really love God with all of my heart. I can't serve him because of the system. Are you following me this morning, beloved? The system is killing the churches 
of America. You notice that the churches who just started up recently, the churches who breaks away from the system and they start a church plan or even a denomination, the mega churches, who are recent churches, they broke out of the system because of the freedom, the Holy Spirit moves because the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And man, through the system and organization of church, hinders the movement of the Holy Ghost because man takes the place of God and therefore if you have a question, you come to me first and I'll give you the answer. And you can't do this and you can't do that because not enough money or whatever it may be, right? And man takes the place of God within the system. It was a gradual process. And the danger was that we want to be like the Israelites that said, we want a king to rule, rule over us like all the other nations, right? All the other denominations. So the Seventh Avenue Church, and this is actually known, I talked with this with my conference president, they know where I stand, and they actually agree with me. But the system is so strong. I say, you know, before in the Bible, the pastor, the minister actually was not hovering over a church. The minister was actually doing evangelism, doing church plants and raising up. Because if they put the pastor in the local church, they think that's the professional. And you have a question, go ask the pastor. Right? Don't pray to God for the answer, but go to the pastor because he's God and he can answer your questions. And a lot of pastors love that. They like to have the power and the position and the prestige. And a lot of members like it because they like the convenience that all they have to do is come to church and be entertaining, hear a good sermon, right? Isn't that true? And pay for a good sermon. It's like an entertainment, going to the movies, pay for a good movie, be entertained, and just go and leave it and do whatever you want the rest of the week. Is that not true? And so the structure and organization came to the church. And then the papacy said, okay, it's just like the Levitical priesthood. You had the high priest, you had the priest, and then you had the Levites. We got the bishop, we got the priest, and we got the deacon. And now church thinking that we want a pattern just like the world, like all of the other, the other denominations, we decide, well, we're going to separate too. Have you ever wondered why the pastors are called, you know, we call our elders in a church, local church, elders. You ever wonder why we call pastors elders? Elder Thompson, when you get ordained? You ever wonder, has it ever crossed your mind? Could it ever be that that's the same position officially? The pastor and the elder, that's the same position. And it's always been that way. And so we pattern after the world, and then now we have the president, you have the pastors, and you have Bible workers. Isn't that true? And so they're the professionals. We're the laity. And they get paid for it. That's their job, right? But that, think about it. What happens to the love and the fervor of the church with that mentality? What happens in, in the medical profession if the people don't take responsibility for their own health with natural remedies, right? Is that not true? If they're the professionals, then the, the white coat syndrome, they call it, that the doctor is God, right? And what a, that's what my doctor told me. Whatever my doctor tells me, he's God, I'm going to do it, right? I always hear that. Is that true that we have done that white coat mentality to the pastors? If you have a question, don't ask God, go to the pastor, he has all the answers, right? If he has your answers, answered, then go to the pastor, right? And with that type of think, thinking, that falling away, the very structure and organization has killed and is killing our churches today, beloved. You believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Killing our churches. The biggest blessing in this, our church is this. 
the economic crisis. Because now we're forced to have two churches. And the members are forced to actually do more and do something, right? Isn't that not true? Three churches. But it's so sad. I'm sitting on the conference executive committee. It's a committee that oversees the conference. And I say to them, why is it? Why can't we do things just because it's right rather than being dictated by money, beloved? Isn't that true? Why are we doing what God asks us to do? Because financially we cannot afford it. Why can't we do what is right? Because it is right, beloved. Amen? Amen. And so as I share with them, you know, the pastors never, we're going to share, there's going to go some more sermons, but the pastors didn't hover over the churches. And I share with the conference president, and they agree with me. They say, yep, when, we, when they pull away, and actually the churches are doing better. And then he said to me, the conference president said to me, he said, the churches which have one pastor, they're the ones that are having all the problems. He said, the ones that have like two churches, they're the ones that, he said, we never talk to you guys, which is us, that have two churches. Never talk to us. Why? Because the members, when they have one church, they, they, they kind of kick back, right? And they're like, well, let's let the professionals do the work. And a few, few of the professional singers and be, uh, you know, good singers like American Idol, you know, the kind of thing, just entertain the people. Just let them do the work. And we can just sit back and, but when they're forced to work, when they get two churches or three churches, the more the members have to work. And think about it, the more you work, if you're doing something for God and you got to preach now, right, what you never did before, what do you normally do? Pray and study. So now you're studying more because the pulpit's open, right? So now you're studying more. What happens when you study the Word of God? What happens to your love for Jesus? It grows. Now you're going to sing special music. You're scared. Your knees are shaking. What are you going to do? You're going to what? Pray. So what happens when you pray more? Guess what happens to your spirituality? What happens to it? You grow. You love Jesus more. Right? Is that true? So you put the professionals up there. You can't do nothing. What happens to your love for Jesus? There is a what? A falling away, beloved. Amen? So I thought to myself, okay, I'm doing a series on the love of God, which is important, right? Amen? You got to love God before you obey Him. Forget about obeying God. God doesn't want you to obey Him if you don't love Him. Amen? But I thought about which is more important. Teach the people the process of how we love God or talk about the dangers of the falling away which makes you fall out of love. I thought to myself, well, if I teach them how to love God, they can love God, right? And they'll do well. But I thought about, but yet, if the structure and organization is followed after the other churches, even in our own Adventist churches, and how many times I heard people say this to me in board meetings, they say, but pastor, that's how we do it in that church. And I thought to myself, but since when is these churches who are in our Adventist churches, which are spiritually dead, has become now a role model of how our churches should be run? Right? Isn't that true? Amen? So what we did it in that church, is that the way we're going to do it in our church? Just because they did it in that church? And that church is dead? Do we want to be dead like them, beloved? No ways. We need to follow the Word of God and what the Word of God says, beloved. Amen? That's why there's no head out in this church. There's no head position. There's a coordinator and deaconess and deacon. There's a unity, the equality among everyone. Everyone's equal. No one's above anyone else. There's no one person you go to. You go to collective leadership of the elders, the leadership. Our churches have fallen away, and we don't even know it. And I thought to myself, what's more important? 
What's the point? You can teach people to love God, and they love God more. Yes, say there's a revival in this church, and all of a sudden you guys just love God. But after a few weeks and months, we fall back into the old system that's fallen away, and the system compels us to fall out of love with Jesus again. What we gotta do? We gotta have another evangelistic meeting to pep us up again. Are you following me? And then what happens? What happens? Or you get excited, and then it falls back again because of the falling. If you fall again out of love with God, the falling away. And then we think, well, we need a revival here. Let's bring a good event speaker to come in, do a week of prayer. Let's revive the church. And it works, right? Until the structure kicks in again. And we're not solving the problem. This, this, it's like this. The, sink of, the water is on in the sink, and the sink's closed, and the water's overflowing on the, in the bathroom, all over the floor. And instead of turning up the faucet, we have a mop in a bucket, and we're mopping up the water, right? That's not what we're doing. We're squeezing. We're having more revivals, more evangelism, more events. But we're going right back to the same thing. Are you following me? We're squeezing the same water out. And all we got to do is turn off the faucet. Amen? Turn off the faucet. Here's the problem with turn off the faucet. We never turn off the faucet before. Pastor, no one else is turning off the faucet. That's not how we do it in this church. Traditionally, it's never been done to turn off the faucet. And in fact, if we want to turn on the faucet, how do we even turn off the faucet? It's never been done before. It's a new faucet. They just came out with that model. You ever heard that before? We cannot turn off the faucet. So therefore, let's keep mopping up the water, putting our energy and effort into mopping and working and get some of the more members to get together and let's mop this up, clean up the water, and let's keep on going, right? Press them forward. Sometimes we need to get the nail, instead of banging all around it, don't we need to hit the nail on the head, beloved? Amen? Rather than putting all our effort and energy into working harder, why can't we just follow God, obey His divine blueprint, and work smarter, beloved? Amen? For once. Work smarter for once. So this morning, God's church needs to fall in love with Jesus again. But in order to do this, we must create a structure in the church that is conducive to the growth of the church members. I want to love Jesus this morning. How about you? Amen? Amen. We must create a structure, an environment that's conducive to us to love Jesus and to stay in love with Jesus that we would not fall out of love with Jesus Christ this morning. How about you this morning? If you want to obey God and his word, the creative environment structure that you can fall in love with Jesus, would you make a commitment to God by raising your hand with me this morning? Amen. This morning our closing hymn is found in hymn number 538. Hymn number 538.